podcast that I don't know when this is going to be released uh, earlier in the week about worship. And uh, man, uh, we we just packed this worship time full up this morning with exactly what we're going to be in the scriptures preaching about. And so, brother, I'm super thankful. Uh, I mean, I I tried to contain myself over here. I'm just. I mean, I'm having a fit while we're singing these beautiful truths that I'm sure most of us in here don't even grasp all of them. Like, we're singing stuff, and we're like, sounds like a good line. But the depth of what we're singing is what I hope to bring to light in our sermon this morning. And so I'm just super, super excited to preach. Just to be honest, um, because there are so many wonderful deep, beautiful connections about our faith in this word this morning that, man, will just burst your heart and mind if you are able to grasp them. Uh, But we're going to need God's help in order to do that. Um, I want us to make a hard shift real quick, though. I know you're probably turning to Acts 10. I just want us to take a moment this morning and... um, uh, Some of you may know the Bryan family from uh, First United Methodist in Anniston. Some of you may not know, uh, this past week, um, they had a car accident and their three-year-old daughter passed away. And um, I can't personally imagine the pain and suffering that they're dealing with right now. Um, As just this morning, I'm getting my three-year-old daughter dressed and uh, I can tell you this, it's made me cherish every moment after I heard that news this past week with my kids. And so, we are not promised tomorrow, uh, and that's just a reminder of that. But right now, I think it'd be right, Grace Fellowship, for all of us to pray for this family, uh, to pray for the Brian family. Uh, Kyle is on staff at, he's associate pastor at Aniston First United Methodist, and so we just want to pray for him and his wife, Leanne. And their five-year-old boy, Ashley. So can we just pray for them right now? (laughs) Father, we hurt as a body when one of your people hurt. Because as the body of Christ, God, we're connected with a much deeper connection than anything on this earth. God, I've never met Kyle nor Leanne. God, my soul hurts for them this week. And I know that we as a church hurt for this family. And uh, God, we just ask you this morning, would you pour out your grace and love on this family? I don't know what it is that they need right now, God, but you do, and we know that you are the healer and the comforter and the restorer, and we know for Kyle and Leanne, there is hope that one day they will feast in the house of Zion where all things have been made new. So, God, we pray that you would remind them of this hope as they deal 
with the awful, terrible, great loss of their little girl. Father, please help this family. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts 10. I knew that praying for them at the beginning of the service because of how that's uh, affected me this week and hurting for them would be hard to just, okay, now let's jump in the text. But I just thought that we needed to do that as a church. But as you heard me pray, church, we are not those without hope, right? Right? Like death has lost its sting, And that's what we rejoice in, and that's what we can be glad about. So in Acts 10, uh, for those of you that were here last week, you're aware that this moment we're going to look at in Acts 10, the whole chapter, is a big moment in the book of Acts. Uh, Last week, just to give you a recap for those that maybe weren't here or to remind you that fell asleep, I'm just kidding, those that like me have bad memories, Um, We saw last week how God is preparing his people. And he's doing this by displaying his power to authenticate the person of Jesus who delivers to us God's promises that reveal to us God's plan. Right? That's what we looked at last week. Now today we will cover what it was that God was preparing Peter for. Four. But there's a twist. Always is, right? You know when you wait so long for a, a movie to come out, and after you've waited so long for this movie to come out, you find out that it's being released in two parts. And you'll have to wait for the second part. And that's what's happening here in our text. Um, we will cover all of chapter 10 today, which is the narrative, uh, as you'll see. But Aaron next week will be covering chapter 11, verses 1 through 18, which is Peter's recounting of this exact same story to the church in Jerusalem. Since both passages cover the same material, uh, we've decided that it would be best for today us to kind of fly high and get a look, like, um, like somebody brought up the example of the Alps today, right? No way you can explore every little nook and cranny of the Alps, but you can take a plane and fly over them and see their majestic beauty. And so that's what we're going to do in this passage today. And then next week, Aaron will zoom in for us on some of the core doctrines that come out of this passage. And hopefully, these two sermons, like I said earlier, you'll connect the dots. They'll burst your heart and mind when you see what God is doing in this awesome story. So without further ado, we've got a lot to read, 48 verses. Try to stay with it. It's a story, so um, stick with it. Here we go. Acts 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. 
He stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send, me, send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals, reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright, God-fearing man who has spoken well of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is looking he, I mean, he is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, uh, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. But Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation who fears him, anyone who fears him, and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, 
He is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, uh, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain there for some days. Father, thank you for this story. Thank you for uh, using Luke by the hand of your Holy Spirit to write this for us so that we can understand and grasp what it is that you're doing here in redemptive history. God, I pray for myself Uh, that I would get out of the way this morning and let your truth, your glorious, wonderful truth from Genesis to Revelation move your people to worship this morning. Change our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, it's a big text, right? Big story happening. Uh, Where do we even begin? Well, in 1964... That's where we'll begin. Bob Dylan released what would be a hit song called The Times They Are A-Changin'. I discovered it this week. I also discovered this week that Jaws was released in 1975. Two dozen of you told me that after... Uh, last week when I claimed it came out when I was a teenager. (laughs) I'm thankful to God for fact checkers. So I did my research this week. And Bob Dylan wrote the song, The Times Are Changing, in 1964. He wrote it to be an anthem. uh, Anthem of the change that was taking place in society at that time. He calls out to people, writers and critics... Uh, Congress people, mother and fathers, everyone to take notice that the times, they are a-changing. Now I bring this song up because it's a fitting title for today's message in Acts 10. Through the story that we just read, God is showing Peter that the times, they are a-changing. What Peter has always known and lived by is changing. That's what we get from his statement in verse 14 when he, say, he sees the vision that the Lord has given him 
being told to kill and eat. And he says this, by no means, Lord, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. So as if the last three years of Peter's life following the Son of God wasn't radical enough, now more of Peter's world would be turned upside down in this passage. Strict rules and regulations that he's always kept, he's now being told, drop them. I want you to hear what the late R.C. Sproul says about this chapter. He says, Acts 10 is one of the most important chapters of the entire book of Acts. If not the most important chapter. Actually, <laughs> see, R.C., I, I found out, didn't ever write manuscripts. He just came off the top, so th- it makes sense that he says, actually, it is one of the most important chapters of the entire New Testament. Because it brings our attention to an extremely important moment in redemptive history. A time of transition from the old way of doing things to a whole new epoch of God's redemptive activity. So this morning, what I want us to do is take a closer look at what R.C. says this passage is all about. But I'm going to warn you, all right, uh, it's going to take a quite a bit of explaining. But I'm also going to make a promise to you that, if you, that you will not be disappointed uh, when you understand all of these connections and are better able to see what God is weaving together all throughout redemptive history. So let me state, restate uh, in my own words what R.C. said Acts 10 is all about, and that will set us in the right direction, okay? He said, in Acts 10, we are witnessing a time of transition from the old way of doing things to a whole new epoch, which is just a fancy word for time, of God's, of God's redemptive activity. So that's a pretty chunky statement. What does that mean? Well, some would hold to it that the way in which God saves sinners is changing. Some would say that in the Old Testament, Jewish people were saved by strict observance to the law that God had given them. Now in the New Testament, they would be saved by faith. But I believe that's a very, very difficult point to make biblically because of the type of things we see the Apostle Paul write. Take, for example, in Romans 4, Paul says, uh, Abraham was justified by his faith. He says that he was made righteous by his faith, and it wasn't his obedience to the law. So I want you to hear this first off the bat this morning in understanding all of this. God has always had one way in which he saves sinners, and that is through faith in his promised Messiah. Now, you might be thinking, well, wait, Jesus didn't show up till the Gospels in the New Testament. How in the world did that happen? Well, all the way back, as early as Genesis 3, when we see the fall of man, Adam and Eve sin against God and are in need of redemption, we get the first sketch of how God is going to save them. Genesis 3.15, God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That's the very first sketch we get uh, of seeing what God is going to do. 
we get more of an outline of what God is going to do in the promises given to Abraham in Genesis 12. Then the rest of the Old Testament adds layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of color to this picture. For instance, when God gives Moses the law in Exodus, it was to show Israel God's holiness and reveal to them that they don't measure up. They need someone who can keep God's law for them. When God gave Israel the sacrificial system in Leviticus, it was to show them that their sin came with a blood price. But as the writer of Hebrews tells us, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin, since every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. You see, the Old Testament reveals how we need a better prophet than Moses. We need a better king than David. We need a priest like Melchizedek. So through the Old Testament, layer upon layer of color, revealing more and more clearly God's redemptive plan until the coming of Jesus. And now... We are seeing in the person of Christ 1080p high definition of what God was doing all along. In Acts 10, Peter and the church have the brand new high definition TV. They've got it. They just are unsure about how to turn it on. I mean, they've got rabbit ears that they're trying to attach to it. You with me? They've got red and white and yellow cables that there aren't any holes for. They're having a tough time trying to figure this thing out. And I'm sorry if you don't know anything about TVs. I just went straight over your head. But if you do, you know what I'm talking about. The point is, church, that the times, they are a-changing. Now, in our text, we're introduced to a man named Cornelius who lived in Caesarea. He's a centurion, which means he was a prominent person. We have to ask the question, why out of all the people does God choose a man named Cornelius and give him a vision to go and seek out Peter? Well, here's some reasons. God, uh, Cornelius is a, is a Roman. Uh, it doesn't get any more pagan than Romans in this day. I mean, they are uh, the, the, the peak of pagan. Uh, they're, they're idol worshipers. They worshiped a myriad of gods. But we're actually told about Cornelius that he himself is a God-fearer, uh, which is a common term uh, that they would use in that day of talking about one who had converted somewhat to Judaism but had not completely converted because uh, they had not received circumcision. So it was kind of like, okay, you, you like our God, you're, you're kind of saying that you worship him by name, but you don't really know him, you haven't done all the things right. Uh, and, and the reason this was because circumcision was kind of like the ultimate seal. It was a big deal for the Jews. It was uh, God's sign of his covenant with his people. So not receiving circumcision could in some ways be likened to someone saying they follow Jesus today, but not receiving baptism, Right? Just don't take that too far or you'll end up Presbyterian. But we see, we see that Cornelius was groping in his spiritually blind condition. He's groping in this darkness. He's offering up 
prayers and offerings to God. So in a vision, God tells him to seek out Peter. Meanwhile, it's high noon and your boy Peter is hungry. Something's ever written about me, I'm sure that would be in there. Corey was hungry once again. But he goes up on the roof of the Simon the Tanner's house and he, and he is also given a vision. His vision was of a sheet falling down with all kinds of animals, reptiles, and birds of the air. And he hears the voice, Peter, kill and eat. Now, this is, uh, why, why is this significant? Well, once again, let's go back to the Old Testament. When God gave the law to Israel, he gave them a moral law that would never change. But he also gave to them a ceremonial law that were specifically for national Israel. These ceremonial laws would show Israel uh, how God was to be worshipped during this time of redemptive history. God's people were to be kept ceremonially clean before coming into God's presence. And the reason is, is because it was to be crystal clear to Israel and all the world that God is holy. He is set apart as perfect, uh, pure, and undefiled by evil. There is actually a veil between himself and humanity. And no one can enter into his presence unless they are pure. When his presence in the Old Testament came into contact with anything that wasn't purified, it obliterated it. We see stories uh, in, like in the Old Testament like Uzzah who dropped dead when he steadied the ark as it was falling. We see this with the priest tying to his ankle a rope and a bell and walking into the Holy of Holies in case he drops dead. And we see this in the story of Nadab and Abihu who offer up strange fire to God in an unprescribed manner and are immediately dropped dead. These ceremonial laws were to distinguish God's people as a reverent people, holy unto God. And Peter knows all of this. He knows the incredible importance that is placed on him remaining ceremonially clean and undefiled. But the times, they are a-changing. And God's already been working on Peter, right? I mean, entering into a room in the last chapter of a woman that was dead, that God would use him to raise from the dead, staying at Simon the Tanner's house, who skins the carcasses of dead animals and lays them out to be tanned in the sun. And now he's giving him a vision. Not just once, because we all know how hard-headed Peter is, but three times the scripture says... Uh, saying to him three times, what God has made clean, do not call common. Now, without Peter even having time to understand the vision, the Holy Spirit tells him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise, go down, and without hesitation, welcome them in, for I have sent them, right? So that night, you got to think, Peter is dining with these men before they head off to Cornelius's house and his mind has to be running in a million different directions, right? I mean, what is, I just had this vision. These men show up at my house saying, they, their guys had a vision. I don't, what is going on? 
But one of the directions that, that Peter's mind has to be running is a moment when he was with Jesus. Uh, this moment that I'm talking about is found in Mark 7. And we're told in this moment that the li- li- uh, religious leaders have approached Jesus. And they are questioning him about why him and his followers are not paying attention and observing the tradition of the elders, which is shorthand for their interpretation of God's law. So I want to read this passage to you as, as they're asking Jesus this question. Jesus says in Mark seven fourteen, Hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside of a person that, going, that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And we had entered the house and left the people. His disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, uh, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and then is expelled. Thus, he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they are what defile a person. You see, Peter has to be pondering these kind of statements by Jesus along with his vision and slowly connecting the dots. Peter has been born under the old covenant, which was full of promises, just like we sang about, of what God was going to do. All of the law, sacrifices, feasts, ceremonial cleanliness, they were all a shadow of the heavenly things, the true and eternal things. But now Christ has come and fulfilled all of those promises. And he has not entered into a holy place made with hands like the Old Testament temple, which was a copy of the true things. But he has entered into heaven itself to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Not to offer himself repeatedly like the priest in the Old Testament did, but once for all. The Old Covenant was based on external cleansing and according to Hebrews 8.13 was fading away. But the New Covenant that Jesus made by His blood was an eternal covenant and provided internal cleansing of the heart just like the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel said it would. This vision had to take Peter back to moments in, like he had in, with Jesus in John 12 and John 15, where Jesus would tell his disciples, you are clean because of the words I've spoken to you. So we just got to think, all of this stuff is running through Peter's mind. Mind-boggling, right? I mean, it's mind-boggling for me as I got to marinate in it all week and prepare this But when Peter is dealing with this at real time, there's no way he slept that night. No chance. So, the scriptures tell us that the next day he got up with the men that had been sent for him and they headed to Caesarea. Upon arriving, 
Cornelius meets them with a house full of guests and falls down to worship Peter. I mean, this detail verifies what we said earlier that this man was groping in darkness, right? God fear, groping. Uh, but God has shown this man grace. Grace in giving him a vision and to send for Peter, who God is also dealing with. Peter then makes it clear that the only reason he's there is because of a vision that God has given him not to call any person unclean. So we know right there that Peter has connected some dots in his mind. This isn't talking about food, Peter. We're talking about people, right? So you see, in the Old Testament or under the Old Covenant, there was a separation of the Jewish people and of the rest of the world, which is Gentiles. It's what they called them. And this is what we, because of what we said earlier, uh, they were to be, the Jewish people were to be a set-apart people. They didn't dine or fellowship with those who weren't Jewish because those kind of people would defile them. It would make them unclean. It would contaminate them. We're told this division between Jew and Gentile is so great, uh, the, it's like an actual wall. The scriptures call it that, a wall of hostility. Now, as someone who cares much about global missions, this makes me wonder uh, how in the world, I mean, Missions isn't something new. God promised a blessing to the nations all the way back in Genesis 12. How was Jewish people supposed to be evangelistic? How was the world supposed to find out about God in the Old Testament and celebrate and worship His greatness? Well, see, during the Old Testament or Old Covenant, God's missional strategy was a common sea. The way in which Israel was to function as a nation was to be amazing to the rest of the world. We see this working out in the pinnacle of Israel's history under the reign of King Solomon. We're told that the queen of Sheba comes from afar because she's heard about the glory of God on display in Solomon's reign. And so as God's glory is on display in the Old Testament, the other nations would see it and they would want to come be a part of this glory. This was the missional strategy in the Old Testament. This is why Peter could not dine with Gentiles. And it's the first thing he says upon showing up to Cornelius' house. He says, you yourselves know how it is unlawful. Like it's, uh, it's breaking the law for me as a Jew to associate with you or to visit anyone of another nation. But... The times, they are a-changing. Peter asked Cornelius, why did you send for me? Cornelius explains the vision that he had also been given by God. And Peter, shocked as he could be, makes this incredible statement, church. Don't miss this. Truly, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. What? <laughs> now, someone said amen to that, and yes, amen. But for Peter to say this? 
I mean, this is coming from a man who's been born and raised as a Jew. He's been told his entire life that he is distinctly different from the rest of the world because he has been shown the favor of God. He is God's chosen people. You see, it was the Jews who had been given the law, the promises, the prophets, the writings. It was the Jews whose bloodline would bring forth the Messiah, Savior, King. It was the Jews who had the temple, the priest, and the sacrifices. But now Peter, Peter is making this declaration. God shows no partiality. What does Peter do upon this declaration? He preaches the gospel. He tells of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And while he's preaching, he is interrupted by the Holy Spirit who falls on these people who are listening and believing in what he is saying. And this makes the men that came with Peter, I mean their jaws are on the ground. What is going on right now? God has given the Holy Spirit to these Gentiles. And the next part that we see in the text is so important. What does the Spirit provoke in them? The speaking of tongues, extolling God, worshiping God. Just like he did on the day of Pentecost with Peter and the rest of the apostles. Now, why is that important? Because God himself is making it crystal clear to Peter that in Christ Jesus, those who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace, he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility, Ephesians 2, 11. <laughs> A multi-ethnic one royal race people for God's own possession. That's what Jesus has accomplished. And that's what Peter is being blown away by in this passage. Oh, how the times they are a-changing. When we see Peter making the statement, who can keep these people from being baptized? Answer? No one. You see, baptism was understood by Peter and the others as the new sign of repentance and allegiance to Jesus. Just like the Ethiopian understood after hearing the good news about Jesus that nothing kept him from becoming baptized and entering into the new covenant. So now Peter declares to these Romans, there's nothing stopping you too from being baptized. So I want to declare to you, if you're sitting here and you're hearing this word about how grand and awesome and the marvelous things that our God has done from long, long ago up until now, and it's exposing to you that you're not part of this, you're not part of this family, you're not part of this covenant, 
you're not in right standing with God, then the good news is that this can be removed. The curse can be removed from you. The sin can be removed from you. The eternal death that right now you are under can be removed from you by asking in faith that Jesus would save you. That goes for every person in here who is not part of this. And if God is leading you right now, that's miraculous. He's showing grace to you. And I ask you, I plead with you, that if that's you sitting in here, you would trust in Christ for your salvation today. And for Grace Fellowship, Grace Fellowship, the times have changed. <laughs> Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. For these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance of them belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism or worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grow with a growth that is from God, if with Christ you have died, Grace Fellowship, to the elemental spirits of this world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that perish as they're used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of the flesh, of wisdom, promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If you then, Grace Fellowship, have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you will also appear with him in glory. Grace Fellowship, we don't live under the old covenant. We live in the new covenant that Christ has inaugurated by his blood. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, you are clean. You're clean. You didn't do it, though. So what does that mean? You can't mess it up either. <laughs> right? Rejoice in your salvation. So much of my life growing up in the church, I was taught to live like someone under the old covenant. Don't hang out with sinners. If you do, you'll become one of them. So keep your guard up and don't allow yourself to be contaminated. But church, this is not what we've been called to by our Savior. He set an example for us by dining with sinners. And he calls us to do the same. Our missional strategy is no longer come and see. Our missional strategy, Grace Fellowship, is go and tell. 
So Grace Fellowship, get to know the people who are far off. Befriend them, love them, and preach the good news that their heart is searching for. But most importantly, Grace Fellowship, believe the good news that we find here in Acts 10. That in the person of Jesus and his finished work alone, we are saved. It's not because of our ethnicity, but because of his grace alone. It's not because of what we do or what we don't do, but because of his gift of faith to us alone. And it's according to the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation alone. Aaron, what's next? For the glory of God alone. That's why we're saved. I hope this fires you up. Like to know in Acts 10, we no longer are bound to these things that passed away. They were fading. They were a sign of things to come. But now we have taken hold of our righteousness in Christ alone. And we are clean. Why? Because we have been made temples of the living and true God. (laughs) He's going to finish the work he started in you, struggling Christian. Christian that doesn't believe you can ever be used to make a difference among the nations, he's going to use you to make a difference among the nations. He is. He's chosen to do that. He's chosen you as his vessel. And if you're lost today in here and you know you're not his vessel and you're coming to that realization right now, then guess what? That's God's grace speaking to you. May we all trust in Christ more and more and more, placing our faith in him, not placing our faith in did we do our devotion or did we not do our devotion or whatever it is. These things are petty. Christ has given us his blood. He's cleansed us. We are clean. Church, can we stand? I just want you to stand. And I'm cutting my mic off because we're going to sing the doxology and I'm not leading on a microphone. (laughs) So I need you to sing louder than me. All right? 